Hey team, welcome to another episode of the Intentional Agribusiness Leader Podcast. The podcast where we actually explore the minds of leaders from all around the agriculture and agribusiness space about what it takes to lead intentionally in this industry today. My friends, if there's some value in here for you today, we ask you to subscribe to the podcast, share this with someone who needs to hear the message of what it takes to be intentional. Let's get into the show. All right, uh, Brent, thanks so much uh, for for making time to be on the podcast here with me this week. Uh, tell us from, from your perspective, what does it mean for you to be intentional? Thanks for having me on, Mark. It's a pleasure. Uh, you know, what it means to be intentional, just focused and clarity. Um, I think as, as leaders in an organization, uh, we got here because a lot of things interest us. You know, we're willing to try different things. Um, and and that, that's kind of a, a curse in some ways as a leader. So being intentional is kind of keeping those thoughts inside and being able to keep your team focused and, and knowing when the right setting is in the right organization. Uh, part is to say, you know, what about this? What can we do with that? Um, but for me, it, it's, you know, it's part of the, the ritual every morning of getting up and uh, we're an EOS company. So we're very focused on our culture. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of EOS, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a, it's an off the shelf product for companies like us, small entrepreneurial companies to put together a focused approach to the business. So uh, this morning, as a matter of fact, I had my clarity break, spent some time really thinking about what was important in my family, what was important for me personally, what was important for work and trying to carry that uh, focus and that clarity throughout the week. I love it. So for those who are not familiar with EOS, uh, tell me a little bit about what that is and why you guys use it. What's a clarity break? Sure. Uh, Because I think that's, uh, I would like to see more people in agribusiness implementing, especially in the small to mid-size organizations, implementing EOS. Even though in my work, I might be, that may mean I end up competing with them for dollars, but it's such a great system. I use it in my business. So talk to us about that. Sure. I, I think probably really in any industry, but ag especially, having clarity or taking time to be purposeful and what we think about and what we do is really important sometimes just to get away from stress. But um, we're an EOS uh, company, so the entrepreneur operating system. And the the product, um, as about two years ago, we went through an acquisition and uh, one went new owners. And uh, we were very purposeful about the time about being more than a manufacturing company in an ag, uh, ag business and wanted to really think about, you know, what's our, what are we here for? What's our core pur- purpose? And if we had to describe the business where it was, where we thought it was going to be, what attributes? So things like core values, um, things that were important to us, what makes us unique from our other competitors. And for us, it kept kind of coming back to a core focus that we're here to change lives. And we're a second chance employer. Uh, so uh, within the community, we're known to take chances on a lot of people, uh, maybe that other organizations wouldn't. So with that, you have to really frame up what's ex- what's acceptable, what's not, where are we going to you know, try to make a difference, what things aren't we going to tackle. And uh, EOS really gave us a lot of clarity that specifically to the clarity break. Uh, within EOS, there's a lot of different aspects, but one of them is, is making sure that as leaders, we put together that focus and we say, okay, here's what we're doing this quarter. Here are the rocks that we're focused on. Here's what we're looking at in the next one, three, five, ten years. The clarity break is a time just to kind of reset. Um, I have a, a little off the beaten path church that I go to that they never lock up. And that's where I typically do my clarity breaks in the morning and 
go in there and it's just a chance to kind of reset personally and professionally. And I, I personally think about three different things. I always start with my family, making sure that I'm grounded there. Uh, and I go into personally making sure that, okay, and I'm a good place is my mind focused uh, physically, mentally, and then professionally, can, can I live up to what I need to for the team? So if I've signed on for rocks or things that I'm going to deliver, I want to make sure that I can deliver for the team. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in making sure that you're being intentional about getting clear, whether it's communicating clearly, making sure that you've got clarity for yourself. I'm all, I'm often reminded of Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, right? And number seven, I think he actually got it out of order. So number seven in the book is to sharpen the saw, right? To take time to go sharpen the saw, which means, you know, work on yourself, take a break, you know, take 15, take a beat, whatever, uh, write down your list and, and prioritize. And I also think that that is maybe the most important. I think along those lines too, you know, the, a lot, what I would say, steel sharpen steel and having a network of people that you're not afraid to reach out to being able to pick up that phone and say, Hey, I've got this going on. I've not encountered it. Maybe it's a financing challenge. Maybe it's uh, an issue in the business. And, and how should I approach this? Have you ran into this before? Um, I, there are times where I definitely over leverage my network sometimes. But uh, again, it's it's part of keeping yourself sharp. Absolutely. It's so essential. I think intentional leaders need to really double down on that. And, and if I could give people an encouragement right now, it would be to intentionally implement that in your life on a, on a daily basis. So, uh, so, so t- talk a little bit about FiberTech plastics. What do you guys sure. do? Who do you serve? And I don't want to kind of go into what are you guys are doing around talent and attraction and things like that, but just talk a little bit about the company. Uh, so we're uh, FiberTech plastic is in uh, Evansville, Indiana, which is down kind of in the boot corner down in the tip of that, uh, Indiana. Um, we cater to a lot of different industries um, within the ag uh, world. So when you think about material handling, food processing, um, seed, those types of things, anytime you're moving material, we have a product for that. So um, our company was founded with origins in uh, when, it, when it comes to recycling and green and repairing and, and making this product that it, it's going to last not only this use cycle, but it can be repurposed or it can be made into other products. And so through the years, we, we've started with a variety of products that have led into other products for uh, various industries. Um, so we're now in hospitality. We do laundry carts, material handling. Uh, on the ag side, um, any of your big tender car, you know, nurse carts, things like that, where you have the big tanks, it's not often feasible to uh, be able to take those out and put a brand new one in. It might be a ten, twenty thousand dollar investment, and you need you need it right now, especially uh, since post COVID lead times and everything are kind of crazy. So we do a lot of repairs in, in the plastic industry, and that's become our. Uh, when we talk kind of like what our uniques are, we can do cradle to grave from new product all the way through to second generation repair. To if you're done with it and you want to recycle it, we'll recycle it into a new product. Wow. Very cool. That's uh, fascinating stuff. So t- talk to me a little bit about, you know, talent retention in, in your space. You know, a lot of organizations in, in the agribusiness arena are struggling, you know, with talent retention, talent attraction, all of those things. Uh, you're a bit more on the manufacturing side than I think a lot of the folks that I've been talking to from say ag retail or, you know, consulting or some of the more, I would call it white collar, you know, type of um sure. Uh, companies. And so, you know, talk a little bit about that, you know, how, especially in your space. 
So, you know, we're, we're roughly about 120, 150 employees, depends on seasonality. So I still consider a small, but, uh, you know, a, a larger organization here in the community. You know, without getting too far off track on kind of how we got here, um, it really, I think to fix it, it starts at an early age. Um, later this week, we'll have some of the tech programs from uh, local high schools will be coming through. We do a, a tour and we talk really, again, it's all about getting them interested in manufacturing, but I try to stay away from this thought of like a career because I think for, especially for kids, it becomes this one and done versus something that's more about building skills and layering on experiences and that as you layer on those experiences, you're going to be able to do more, right? You're going to be able to provide more value for a company. In turn, you're going to get paid more. And the sky's the more you unique you become, the sky's really the limit on compensation. And uh, for a lot of kids, they just, they hear career and they attach a dollar sign to it and the rest of it doesn't matter. So uh, we take that same approach with our employees um, and then go back to second chance employer, but um, it gives us an opportunity. People maybe may want, they're really smart, they're very talented, but they made one mistake in their life. And how do we get them to kind of cut those anchors, whatever got them here, you know, the old saying, here's not what's going to get you there but how do you how do you work with people to get that and sometimes they don't even know they have it inside of them and you got to really pick at it and and yeah. see it but um being intentional about our culture i think has been very helpful we try to have a lot of fun um, we try to laugh at our mistakes as best as we can we're not afraid to make them so you might as well enjoy them and learn from but um yep. from, a, from a talent standpoint it's uh i I think I go back to when I first started in my uh, career, some of the challenges that we had, um, it was it was very focused on money and it was very focused on works, work, home life. But now it's a blended approach. So uh, to, to really attract talent, you got to be there. you got to care. you got to have empathy. Um, but it's it's not one thing for everybody. It's really unique person by person. And so it's key to have a leadership team that's aligned with that. And it is going through person by person to make sure that uh, we're consistent. We yeah. taking an individualized approach. Yeah. So, so really fascinating about being a second chance employer. And so if this is someone who maybe uh, had a, had some sort of a legal conflict at some point in their life or something like that, I mean, that would be a, maybe that would disqualify them from many employers or many types of roles. Is that what that means? Or I just want to make sure I'm clear. Yes. It could be, um, we do programs with, um, with, that's with different folks. Maybe um, they could, maybe they went through a really bad experience with an employer and they feel like they've got a bad name. And so they, they went unemployed. Maybe they were homeless for a while. Maybe they went through a, a, a really rough family situation. Um, almost er it's, um, I wish I could say it was one thing, but all those things are often tied together. Uh, we find that whether it's with, with drugs or family issues or legal issues, it's yes, the answer to all of the above. Yeah. Wow. Well, I give you guys a lot of credit. Yeah, you know, that that uh, to to really be bold with that and actually you know state that this is a thing that we're about and a thing that we do is I would say that's got to give a lot of people hope. It does for sure. And, you know, we don't, we can't be everything for everyone. So we've got a lot of partnerships. Uh, Evansville's great. There's a variety of groups that we can turn to when there's something, somebody where they need clothing or they need medical assistance or they need a place to stay. And that took a long time to build up. This isn't something you jump in overnight. It took us years to establish that network and for the team, because we used to try to do it ourselves. And we'd ask, you know, like, hey, does anybody have a, 
you know, kids clothing this size or whatever. And it just, that, that wasn't sustainable and it was very choppy and it was a distraction to what we were trying to accomplish big picture. And once we started to really hone those networks and find the right providers, people that were aligned with us, uh, everything just kind of fell in place. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, so let's talk culture for a minute. You know, a lot of people talk about it. I find a few are actually intentional at creating it or curating it. So what, what's most important for you guys around building culture intentionally at, uh, at FiberTech? You know, I have to write my book someday, I guess, but um, I, we spend a lot of time. Um, it, it's really got to be the essence of what you do and how you do things. And whether you're writing a work instruction or you're thinking about a visit with a customer, um, being very intentional about who we are and the um, we had, We've been, you know, this is that time of the year we're going through a lot of performance discussions with people and kind of getting ready for year-end increases or whatever it is. And as we think through that, sometimes making sure that if you're not aligned behaviorally, if you're not aligned culturally with the organization, the performance stuff really never happens, right? So um, if you don't make it a part of your meetings, if you don't make it uh, as, you know, so from an EOS standpoint, but, you know, if you start with the beginning of a meeting and we, we have a segue, right, we want to break from a prior meeting, come in fresh. And so if somebody's not willing to share something positive that happened within their, with, to them personally or professionally, uh, it, it becomes a struggle. And so we spend quite a bit of time with the team um, thinking about it. And that allows us to wrap events around it. It allows us to event training around it. Um, that's it. Yeah. things popping up on my screen here yeah yeah that so, uh there's a, there's always uh yeah plenty of stuff uh, popping in when we're trying to do these which is totally fine so well so when you when you for for you guys is there any 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 pushback or any ch- you know big challenges that come up for you guys as you're you know trying to implement the culture that you guys work within to me it's often a sign but for sure you're going to get the employee that says hey the uh Maybe me personally, maybe the company didn't live up to that aspect of our core values. Um, and we remind everybody that, you know, there's grace, there's humanity here and that this is a journey and we're not going to score 100 out of 100 every time. But that if we're all on the same path and we're all committed to advancing that culture, we're going to learn, we're going to get better. And, you know, that the idea that someday we get to something a lot better than where we're at today is that hope, right? And we talked about it earlier, you brought it up. And I think it's just such a good point that if you don't have that inside of you, um, then then it be, does become very frustrating because, well, that's not me. I don't embody that. I, I don't even know when it says, you know, roll up your sleeves or something like that. Um, and so, you know, keeping it in front of the team, putting signs out there and we have aspects of it, you know, we, we talk about what we're afraid of. We talk about things that make us uncomfortable and we'll use those sayings in a meeting like, hey, guys, I think this is a timeout. Let's be very clear here. This is the time that somebody we're afraid of something. Something's not going right. So let's talk about it. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. You have to make it personal. You can make it very professional, um, but it, it brings that. And that's hard for people, especially if they, you know, they, they have passion about their job and they take it very seriously. They feel like, well, hey, I'm being personally attacked. And that's it's, it's difficult and it's really hard for our leaders and in our regular one-on-ones that we have with the leadership team. That's probably a number one topic. Of, I have a difficult conversation with, that deals with behavior or culture. How do I go about this? You know, and again, going full circle, but back to um, you know, iron sharpening iron and keeping your skills sharp, you're going to network with the group to get to those answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, you know, the, the, 
at this point, if anybody who's listened to more than one or two of these episodes at the point that this goes live, they'll have heard me say <laughs> that uh, the, the Danny Meyer quote, who uh, he started like Shake Shack and several other successful restaurants. And uh, so his I saw him speak at Tony Robbins one time and he said that a culture is like raising a newborn. You have to feed it 12 times a day. And when it craps its pants, you darn well better change it. <laughs> and I think that's it, right? Because it's, it, it's such a, you know, we, I think all leaders want to create culture. Culture is going to get created one way or the other. It's just the default. Right? And it kind of exists, right? You can say, but it was there when you stepped into a building. Culture has always been there. You know, yeah. then your fired culture, but some culture was there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, what happens over the, you know, the next few years, really, if you're the top person in the organization, really, that that ends up falling on you. And I know, you know so the EOS system kind of, does that help you keep, keep that focus? Because, you know, I, I, I you know, I've read um, Rocket Fuel and I look at, okay, the, the, the goal here is to have the, the chief person kind of leading culture and, and being involved in sales and business development and being the face and having your integrator, your person kind of COO role, make sure everything keeps moving to realize the vision. Um, and so I'm just curious how, how you guys utilize it for, from a cultural, you know, to drive culture. Sure. So it goes, I think you, you've got to have everything tied back to it, right? So whether it's performance reviews, I think we've all worked for an organization where, man, that, that guy's hard to deal with or that person's really difficult to deal with. But, man, they do all these great things. And sometimes you got to boil that down and say, we well, have yeah, all those other things they do. If we were going to put like a negative on those and the positives, then the net or, or that you know marginal value creation is kind of zero. So we, we can't recognize or reward that behavior. Um, but then you take it all the way back to your hiring process, right, and you build it in. Um, there's a variety of tools in EOS, the people analyzer, uh, which is a tool that aligns. Here's my core values. Here's skills for this job. And as you're going through candidates, you're able to frame it up in that. Okay, they got the skill set, but do they have the behavioral components? Do they have the cultural fit? And then ultimately, what's right person, right seat saying, yep, this person is a cultural fit. They have the right skill sets. Uh, there's another acronym through all the acronyms that you would GWC. They definitely get it. They want the job and they have the capacity to do it. And you put all that together and it really helps. That's that foundation for your culture then because it, it just, it's, it's top to bottom. It's throughout the organization. And if you're putting your incentives around, if you're recognizing people for it, if that's what shows up in a newsletter or a town hall meeting or skip level meetings, it, it just becomes this web, right? And it just fosters itself. Yeah. Perfect. Great answer. I love how you're framing that up and uh, we need to get an affiliate link or something for, for EOS implementers. Cause <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to probably check into it if they're, if they're listening to uh, to this. So uh, let's, let's talk about your background, you know, just kind of your, some of your experiences, what's been, a, what's been one of the biggest hurdles you've had to overcome as a leader? You know, without getting into individual names um, I think everybody that's, went through any any sort of growth in an organization um, has had to say goodbye to some friends you know or make difficult decisions maybe you've had to buy out a partner or whatever and so for me as an organization we started talking about our vision in, in this particular organization and this opportunity for me it, it was very growth minded and we said okay we want to go from 10 million to 20 million and we laid a path out to 100 million in, in sales 
And I was surprised how many people were like, I don't want to be part of that journey. I'm happy with how it is. Yeah. I'm not interested in growth. I'm not, in, you know, I, I do this job and that's it. And these are people that you respect, the people that you enjoy being around socially. And for me as a leader, um, making those decisions, those tough decisions, because you know it's best for the organization, for the team to advance kind of where we want to go with our vision. It's difficult. That's really hard. But I, I'm convinced that I still maintain a lot of relationships. But um, I'm convinced that if you do it right and you do it with the, from a position of love and caring and, hey, you know, this is going to work. So I, um, but that's, that's been the hardest part of my career, whether it's this company or other companies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day uh, about their culture off the podcast. And it was just around, you know, within their culture, they, they talk about it like the family. I'll leave the company name up, but it's the family. Insert company name, the so-and-so family. And and uh, and I, I have a big trigger with this <laughs> these days because I I feel like I made that mistake in our in our world, uh, in, in my business up until up through 2019, going into 2020. And then, you know, being an event focused company, you know, we did not fare well. And, you know, we lost a lot of revenue and lost a lot of steam, you know, through 2020 and 21. And so what's interesting about your family, if your company, the people that you work with is your, your family, your work family. Uh, what's interesting is that when, when paychecks stop rolling or you have to make tough decisions or cuts or the hard decisions that we sometimes have to make as leaders. And we, you know, we have to lead through the storm, so to speak. What, um, what I often find is that family stops talking to you. <laughs> and uh, family, right, right. Yeah. And I think I, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was the uh, CEO of like a Shopify or one of these, uh, it was a Canadian tech firm. I remember that for sure. Uh, so it may not be Shopify, but he he likened it to, hey, we need to think of ourselves not as uh, not we're we're not a family. You can't fire your family, right? I mean, we, we can have an argument. I can have an argument with my kids. We can get we can not get along with kids for a long time. I have three stepkids, and so there was a, a couple years in the beginning okay. of my wife and I's relationship where I wasn't the most popular dude in their life, you yeah. know. And um, but you can't get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so just because they don't like the it's, CEO, uh, doesn't... Go yeah, we, so. you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback as second chance employers. Um, you know, I grew up with family having a good connotation around it, and internally, sometimes you can be intentional about when we use the word team and the per, the perception around that versus family. For many of our employees, unfortunately, family means doesn't always have this positive connotation to it, so it's it's interesting with your example, but um, sometimes I refrain from using the word family for that, like a good job team or whatever it is. And that's what it feels like is a winning team uh, because some of the, some of the employees have just such, there's a lot of things going on in their head with the word family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm, it's, if somebody wants to use that in their culture, I'm not going to say, Hey, that's wrong or you shouldn't do it. I just think that there are some, there's some connotations that come with that. Right. And then you, you start to potentially paint yourself into a corner of uh, unintentionally. Right. And this is, this whole podcast is how do we lead intentionally? And that's why I bring that up unintentionally paint yourself into a corner of a corner of really burning a bridge. And then if somebody has to be exited from the family for whatever reason, Maybe they're not performing. Maybe life is changing. Maybe we have to change the structure of the business and that family member no longer fits here. <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, 
expectations, right? Either way, there's expectations around the word yeah. family, good, bad, whatever, that if you're being intentional, you, you don't often want to bring those into the situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, so uh, w- what's been a big win for you, Brent, over the course of your career? What's one of your, one of your biggest wins as a leader? You know, I'll use the term blessed, but I, I was fortunate at a very early age uh, when I straight out of college, um, seeing the excitement, whether I was sharing now or, you know, maybe I was sharing some insight or something with somebody else and I got to see them really do well. And, you know, you used the term earlier about like rocket fuel, but that fuel that what what drives us or what's passionate. Um, I don't necessarily call my wife every day on the way home, but uh, I probably should. But those days that I do, it's usually about something the team did. It's about a big win that we had. It's it really very rarely about some big customer that we landed or some machine that we launched or put in or a new product. It's a hey, this person achieved this. And, and, sh- and it resonates with her because that's what she hears about at home. Um, so for me, that's that's really followed me throughout my career. And I would put that as the biggest win is, uh, you know, working with and through others to achieve goals. It's um it's become my mantra. So I would put that as my biggest win is just seeing team after team be successful. And whether it's joining an organization that's not profitable and seeing them become profitable, or maybe they're, they're stagnant growth and we get over that hump. The answer is always there inside the four walls. You just got to find it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so fantastic. I mean, I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I get a lot of my joy in my work now as, as a speaker, not by being the guy in front of the room, but by seeing, the team members who have learned the content now stepping in front of the classroom and nailing it. You know, yeah. there, there was a time and a place when I, with our curriculum, I was the guy and now there are multiple guys and gals that can step in and do it. And it's almost more fun to watch them do it now. So. I don't know, you know, for a leader, there's not a better feeling, right. When yeah. your right hand person or your number two and you're seeing them work and go and you're like, I, either whether I want to do that or don't want to do that or I can't do it, whatever it is, and they're doing it. And you yeah. don't need to be done. It's like, wow, that is a good feeling. Yeah. And, you know, it would, so, and that brings up an interesting point that I, I know a lot of leaders really struggle with because at the end of the day, there's, there's a time and a place. So it's not like I stepped out of the front of my classroom and then let somebody else take over and it was perfect. Right. Yeah. So there's a, there's a progression right it, as it as it pertains to somebody being competent in that role and we have to be willing to walk through that level of uncomfort or discomfort with them otherwise we just end up having to be the person and that's where i see a lot of a lot of leaders stressed out they come to me hey i need time management training I'm like no you don't need time management training you need to let go of right. control Yep. <laughs> that's what you need. You don't need to fit more stuff in. Let's not try to cram, right? 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound bag. Let's, let's see what, what else we can do here. Oh, okay. Interesting. You're not willing, you haven't been willing to delegate that. Why? Well, I just, I can make sure it gets done right. Okay. Well. Sorry to feel like this is a pitch for EOS, but in EOS we have that delegate and elevate tool. And so that's a, a cornerstone of when we're up against and like somebody's not able to get certain things done or they're behind really trying to understand, okay, what can I delegate? What can I elevate? How can I raise my overall? Uh, what can I give to somebody else in the team? And it's a, it's a great exercise to go through. All of us have our sheets. So we know, hey, here's the things we're great at. Here's the things we're good at, but we shouldn't be doing. Who can we, and we can be very intentional about who we give those things to. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a direct report. It can just be somebody else in the organization. And everybody brings different skills and capabilities to the business. And D&E, but that 
we really start thinking outside the box about how can we restructure this work and we see every time it's like wow that five minutes saved us hours organizationally every week yeah absolutely yeah that's a that's a great point so well we've de- so we've definitely have 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 hit the uh, traction and rocket fuel has recommend re- recommended books during our time today but are there any other books that uh, our listener or that listeners should be reading or listening to or podcasts that you like that are that are relevant for people that want to be more intentional leaders this is going to sound like just a generic answer but all of them um i the world's changing so quickly and there's things uh, I, somebody gave me a podcast this morning and it was about being on social media more and being out there on LinkedIn. And I think I was kind of throwing stones at people that, you know, were horse and carriage, didn't want to adopt cars. And now here we are in that, whether you're a salesperson in your sixties and you're, you don't want to get on LinkedIn. If you're learning and you're always, you're always exposing yourself to new things, it's going to take you there. It's going to take where you're uncomfortable. And, you know, the, the books that I try to, whether um, you know, like one that we're, we're focused on right now commercially is never split the difference, and mm-hmm. trying to make sure that as a team they understand there are ways to go about selling, and we create valuable products, and, and customers want them. And if we're doing gimmicks and promotions and all these things, and trying to figure that out, we're, we're not winning loyalty really with a customer. We we won their dollar on this one, but they're going to shop somewhere else the next time. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it's it's really if you're going through a challenge, somebody else has been through that same challenge. And if you go grab a podcast or two, pick a couple different books up, you know, there's there's a couple and a lot of servant leader books. There's just so many good books out there that as a leader, you, you should be often reflecting back because uh, again, they're they're so helpful and just staying sharp. Because I, I forget, so if I don't go back and read a book, I may read the same one two or three times um, before it really starts to sink in. Yeah, I think you know intentional leaders to me just need to be taking in content on a consistent basis. And I'll hear the excuse, "Well, I don't have time to sit down and read." Well, I understand that. And how long does it take you to read ten pages? Right. You know, probably 10 minutes, <laughs> 10, maybe 15 if you're a slow reader like I am. And so we go 10, 15 minutes and, you know, you do 10 pages a day. That's 300 pages a month. And, you know, that's the average length of a personal development book, right? So you can get 12 books a year in just doing 10 pages a day. Or, or ask the question, you know, do you watch TV? Because yeah, a yeah. lot of people do, right? And so uh, when they come back and so if you could just take one hour a week and give me that one hour. I, I will change your life. I will find books that make you a better person. But yeah. You got to be willing to leave the TV alone for an hour. Yeah. yeah. So when we moved here to this house, actually, uh, we, uh, so interestingly enough, I mean, we had TVs. We moved one TV down from Canada. My wife moved down. I moved one over from Nebraska. Though They're still in storage in the, in the <laughs> attic. We never put them up. We've got this beautiful family room over here that has this great big white wall above the fireplace. And I have this old picture of this, this really cool kind of wood carving picture that my dad made um, years before he passed. And so we put that there. And yeah. then if we want to have a movie night, this is what we do. It's very intentional. If we want to have a movie night or we want to watch a game or whatever, uh, of course, we have to wait for it to get dark. But <laughs> we will uh, we have a projector that I would use for, you know, if I was going to do a, a you know, projected video at an event or yeah. something. I just We just... Um, 
we bought a projector and we can set that up in the living room or in the family room out here. And if we're going to do movie night, we do it that way. Otherwise there's no TV that is accessible to myself or the kids. Yeah. And it has been amazing. I mean, one of the best things that's happened for our family is that now like after supper, like, so, well, just imagine like in the morning, nobody's turning on the TV. They're not watching cartoons while they're getting ready for school at night. There's no news on, there's nobody flipping, you know, flipping through Netflix or anything like that around here. And uh, so like our post supper, like we'll, we'll, you know, make, make supper. Maybe we sit down say six thirty, seven o'clock and eat. And we might sit at the table till eight or eight 30, just talking. Yeah. Yep. And that's directly correlated with not having that in the, the, the experience is so much more, so much more rich. And so I know a lot of people out there, like I got to have, have good controls in them about these as well. Man. Yeah. I mean, the phones, I mean, we have, we've, we've not eliminated the phones and, and there's no shortage of the content. The kids are still watching whatever, yeah. you know, shows they decide to watch and stuff for the most part, whatever is allowed. Uh, and you know, it just has created a richer family experience. So it's, um, the, the, the phones, at least we can ban those and we ban those from the dinner table. So you're just yeah. not allowed to bring it. And um, yeah, yeah, so anyway, that's, that's part of our culture building around here. <laughs> what's uh, what's important for you for keeping energy up? I know that's a big one for a lot of leaders is getting tired a lot. So what do you do for you? The, uh, you know, we touched earlier, the clarity break. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to, I, you know, I don't, I think most leaders, we take things personally and we don't let them go and, being intentional. So uh, when I when I do a clarity break, if there's things that are bothering me, I write them down, you know, the old trick, crumble it up and throw it in a trash can, but being mindful about I'm done with this, I'm not going to let it bother me anymore. And uh, for my personality, that's really difficult. There's a lot of things that I go back and might've happened six months ago and I start rethinking it again. And well, if I would have done this or the team would have done this, or we could have got that. And that those are the things that drain my energy the most. If mm-hmm. I can focus on the future and know what are those things in life that that give me energy, whether it's positivity, be around positivity, negativity is like a, for every gallon of positivity, uh, one gallon of negative, it's like five X. It just, when I'm around negative people and negative things and well, I can't do that. Or here's the reasons we can't do that. Yeah. Just framing up your response to me <laughs> makes a big difference. But, um, you know, for my energy level, there's the mental side of it. And then the physical side, you've got to be paying attention. And whether it's what you eat or how you exercise, or I think everybody's on that, that personal journey. But in the last uh, probably 10 years for me, I've been able to really understand that correlation between, okay, when I don't get the physical activity. And so, you know, we bring that to the team as well and challenge each other. And if somebody seems tired, ask them the question, hey, are you, are you taking time to work out? You know, what's going on with your sleep? Uh, because again, we are, I think most people work better when they have more structure. And so if it's nine o'clock to bed and four thirty, five o'clock and you're up or whatever that structure is, the more you can stick to it, the better. And so really surrounding myself with the right people, preparing myself mentally and physically, and the rest just kind of comes naturally. Yeah. You know, I think maybe the first one that is, is hitting the point of really paying attention to who you surround yourself with, you know, that's a, that's a big one for, we, we get people around us that are big energy drainers, right? They're, I call them energy vampires. <laughs> they are perfect energy vampires. Yeah. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta watch it. And you know what, listen, we all work with that person who just like takes a little bit more energy than others. 
And, you know, challenging though it may be, I think you, know, you really have to just watch, like it, it's okay to set some boundaries and it's like, cool, like you're, what I'm giving myself 10 minutes, I'm going to go in there, have this conversation. And then I got to get out. I got to shut it down. We all have that person that will gladly take the extra 45 minutes of your time to just keep talking probably about nothing productive. Right. And there's a time and a place for that. I mean, I want to be about building relationships and being available and being accessible as a leader. And then there's also some times when we just get to set some firm boundaries. I think as a leader too, we've got to recognize when that person becomes the black hole, they're no longer just uh, an individual energy vampire, but they're pulling from the entire organization and it goes back to right person, right seat. Then you know, Hey, I got to make a change. Mm-hmm. Back to the struggles of, you know, the family or the culture you're trying to create uh, that it can really, it becomes an anchor to the organization. It, it pulls people and it becomes an excuse, right? For, Poor performance or bad behavior. Others, well, what about that person? So, you got to be very intentional about the people you surround yourself with. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we we get to uh, start bringing this in for a landing a little bit here today, Brent. So, any uh, any like I want to take an opportunity to talk about those vul- uh, vulnerability question because uh, you know we uh, put that on the list there for you to reflect on, and I uh, thought you had some good insights uh, prior to the the recording here. So, how important is vulnerability in in creating an intentional workplace? What well, I thought you were very intentional for saving the best for the last. Uh, to me. Vulnerability, I think, is how I, I've really shaped my career. I think it's part of the secret sauce. Um, I've, I've worked with leaders that had huge egos, that um, had to be right about everything and could never lose. And that's not human, right? And if you're if you're going to empathize with others and you're going to show that, hey, we can do this, it's, it's owning those mistakes, right? And when something happens to an organization, be the first one out there to say, hey, this was a mistake. I, I messed this up. Um, organizationally, here's what we got to do to get better. But on the on the flip side, even if maybe you were part of a of a winning project, having that vulnerability to to give all the credit to somebody else and being okay with that and not letting it, it bother you, as a leader, that's that's got to be one of the top two or three things you're always thinking about. You're being intentional on, hey, this is a great opportunity. We had this big win. Who can I recognize on the team to really you know use the term sometimes say call each other out, call each other up. How can I call that person up to give them some self-esteem and put themselves out there? And on the flip side, we, we didn't get to these positions without having broad shoulders. So when you make a decision and it was a bad decision, be done with it, move on, you know, take the blame, bear it, and just stop talking about it, get on with it. Mm-hmm. There's problem solving, go through that process, but move on as quick as possible. Yeah. It, it just seems, you know, I run into so many coaching situations where people are, really struggling with that leader who just is either super closed off, always has to be right, or or just is not willing to open up at all. Right. So they're just like kind of a prickly pear <laughs> in the in that workspace. And they're just hard to hard to get along with. We spend a we spend an inordinate amount of time coaching our coaching clients through exactly that situation. Yeah. So what do I do? This guy won't do this. And it, and they, they get it stuck in a very negative story about that person. And our job as coaches is to help them break through that and, and, and own the pieces of it that they can own and do the best that they can with themselves. And then ultimately that other person in the conversation has got to make their decision on, on what they're going to do. We, we can't always, if they're not in the coaching, we can't, Solve for it, <laughs> uh, but it, it, I bet it, I, I, I bet it's in the, the many, many, many billions, if not trillions, of dollars that it costs. Oh, for sure. 
companies. No. I mean, across the globe, it's just it's unreal. Is there is there a, is there too 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 much vulnerabilities? There two you know places that are off off limits that you think are um, you know oversharing or anything like that that's just not productive. You know, I the um, back to you know where we started, where there was a time where your your career and your personal life were two completely separate things. Mm-hmm. You know, human is is messy sometimes, and as a team, you, you got to create an environment where people are comfortable, right? So you got to feel there's got to be safe places, and people got to be able to to say things. But I, I think being vulnerable is necessary to the extent things need to get done, right? So when we have situations where I can tell something's going on with somebody. You do have to to pull at it to really understand what's going on and get down to the kind of the root cause of the, the issue. And sometimes, yes, uh, it gets you know a little more a little more touchy than maybe you, you thought. But um, to me, if you if you're going at it with the right intentions and you're not trying to go at it to maybe fire somebody or make them look bad or whatever it is. And it goes, it's part of that culture piece, right? So mm-hmm. if I can lead by example and start out, yeah, I had a you know a tough weekend at home and this went on and maybe I had this issue in my family and it didn't get resolved. So guys, it's dragging over to this week. And, you know, if you give me a little patience, I'm going to work through it. You're creating that environment right, with your culture where people feel comfortable bringing yeah. that stuff away. Brent shared this last week. I'm, I'm comfortable sharing it this week. And pretty soon it's just, it just becomes part of it. So to say there's this, like these boundaries, I think the organization probably defines them, but um, it really, it's what you need to do to get the work done uh, to, to make sure people are fulfilled here. Yeah. Can, can you say that part from the back from the beginning? So you're, you're the, the purpose of your organization, right? Is it improving lives? Here to change lives. Here to change lives, right? We're here to change lives. And, you know, everything you're saying is, is in alignment with, with, with that, which I love. And that's one of the things I've loved about this conversation today is that, uh, you know, as you know, what we, you're, we make plastic containers, <laughs> right? Like that's the, yeah, that's, like that. the part, yeah, right? that's what we get paid fine. to do. Right. But we're an organization that's here to improve lives. And, you know, I'm a big believer that intentional leaders are building organizations that are about more than just whatever it is that they sell. Right. And and, and, in that way, our work becomes our worship and that's cool. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And you see it in the slogans for companies anymore, right? That, uh, especially in the ag industry, I think people aren't afraid to be faith-based and tie back to, to that. And so for us, it's very important, um, that we have that connection and, you know, if somebody doesn't like it, okay, I'm sorry for that person. I don't know. We'll, we'll find another customer that does value those things. Yeah. Do you, so, so I want to actually add one more question in since it just came up right there. So as, as a faith-based organization, do you get pushback from customers? They don't want to hear it from employees. They don't want to hear it or does it. No, it, um, you know, again, there's, there, it's like anything, there's these, you know, boundaries that we're always trying to think through, but we have had situations where customers have shared with maybe somebody on our sales team, something personal that they were going through or a, you know, something tragic had happened in their life and doing that extra outreach with that person, or sometimes just your signature line on an email, you know, have a blessed day or, you know, thinking about you, I'm going to keep you in my thoughts and prayers as we can. Um, that's who we are. So that's how we answer our emails internally. So 
yes, does that bleed across into our suppliers and into our customers for sure. But um, I can honestly say nobody's ever sent me an email back and said, hey, can you go back to thank you, have a great weekend on your on your email closing outline. I think they appreciate that. I mean, we do we do bring customers in. Uh, that's part of our presentation. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about our core focus and our purpose, and we're here to change lives and our core values. And I'm surprised by how many customers say, you know, we're, we're talking about that same thing right now. And, and you guys are a little bit ahead of us, but we're thinking, you know, how, how do we resonate with our employees? You know, the the old days of well, be, be at work on time, uh, work hard, give it 110 percent, whatever that means. Uh, those things don't resonate with employees anymore. You know, it's not personal to them. So mm-hmm. for us, it's who we are. So why, why hide it? Why? Just, here's who we are. Here's what we do. Beautiful. I love it. Well, I think that's a great, uh, great place to end it uh, today, Brent. This has been a really cool conversation. So uh, if, if someone wanted to come in, uh, take a tour or just kind of look you guys up as uh, what's what's the website or best ways yeah. to get a hold of you guys? So we're on LinkedIn and Facebook, but fibertechplastics.com. Uh, it will get you there for the website. All of our products and services are out there. We hit a lot of trade shows. We try to visit our our customers as well quite a bit. But uh, yeah, if you're in the Evansville area and you want to stop by and visit us, be glad to uh, show you the processes and introduce you to the team. Love it. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, Brent. My pleasure. Have a great week, Mark. I hope today's episode brought you a great deal of value about what it takes to lead life and lead in this industry with intention. If you want to go deeper on the topic of leading with intention, I encourage you to head on over to intentionaltoolbox.com and get the seven free tools that will help you to lead your life in all areas with a greater deal of intention. That's intentionaltoolbox.com. And finally, if, if this message resonated today, if there was something in here that you got value from, I promise you there's someone else in your life who also would get value from this. So please share the episode, share the podcast, and make sure that you subscribe.